How many of you, when you were children, liked to climb trees? How many of you still like to climb trees? How many of you find you can't do it very well anymore? <laughs> okay. When I was a kid, I used to love climbing trees. I loved just going up, losing myself in the branches and, and communing with God. Nobody could see me. I could just go up there and just think and pray and just spend time with God. And when we were in Iowa, I was about nine or 10 years old. We lived in a place called Lake Mills, Iowa. And there was one place on over the street. There was this big branch that went out over the street. You could go up in the branches and hide. And so one real hot summer day, my two older brothers and I got this great idea. I said, why don't, we, why don't we water the cars when they come by and see what happens? Well, it went over fine until we had that convertible. That was not a good idea. In the backyard, in the backyard, there was, there was um, a huge bunch of pine trees, pine trees, some fir trees with thick branches. And at the very top of one of them, there was a, there was a blackbird's nest. And being a nine-year-old, I thought, I'd like to see how close I get up there because the, the mother bird was bringing uh, food to the babies and they were chirping and making noise. And I thought, I want to go up there and get a really close look. So I went up as far as I could. And as I was nearing the top, near the nest, I reached out for a branch and I missed the branch. Instead, I grabbed a live high wire power that was running through the branches. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was an electrifying experience, to say the least. <laughs> and I remember holding onto that branch, and immediately I was glued to one, one hand of the tree trunk and one hand of this wire. And I experienced something I had not experienced as a nine-year-old. It was electricity running through this arm down and whatever. And, it, and for some reason, at some point, it stopped. I don't know why. Maybe a breaker broke. Maybe God just intervened and said, oh, we, we need him in Eau Claire someday. We'd better save his life. <laughs> and I remember all of a sudden it stopped. And, and I let go of one thing, the tree. So, so now I'm hanging. It was thir literally 30 feet up, hanging onto the high wire. And I don't know if it was, I was more afraid of electricity or, or gravity, but I, I let go. And so I started going down. And I had a friend at the bottom. He, he, he was too rotund to climb the tree. I mean, he was too smart. He didn't want to climb the tree. And, and I was coming, I remember coming down through the thick branches, caroming back and forth. And he was like <laughs> trying to figure out which way I was coming. And it slowed me down enough so the final branch caught me I, on my butt. And then I slid off and he caught me as I went to the, to the ground. My mother came running. She was wondering what the screaming was all about. I guess I made some noise. And, but, and the only thing that was wrong is I, my hand smelled burnt for some reason. Uh, other than that, nothing's wrong with me. Nothing's, no. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking about that, that story today, this week, as I was preparing for this sermon. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Because God's name is powerful, a lot more powerful than electricity. A lot more powerful. God's name says don't misuse his name. God's name is not just a representation of who he is, but it's who he is. His name includes his nature, his person, 
his very being. God's name is power, so powerful that the third commandment warns us not to misuse his name. It's powerful, even dangerous. This message is entitled Danger, High Voltage, for that reason. Exodus 20, verse 7. Exodus 20, verse 7, reads, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We're in a series called God's Top Ten. It's about relationship. The Ten Commandments are just part of what's called the law. The law includes God's Top Ten and gives us parameters or boundaries, we talked about this, on how to relate to this all-powerful God. How do we relate to him and how do we relate to human, other human beings? It's the vertical and the horizontal nature of God's top 10. Dave write, David, Psalmist David writes in Psalm 19, talking about the law. And the, I just wanted to just go over these verses to talk about the law. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. And the last verse of that chapter says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's just a small description of the law, which includes God's top 10. You can see how we ought to be delighting in studying and spending time studying this. Remember, the Ten Commandments give us parameters, boundaries, and guidelines how to correctly relate to God and to people. We don't, just just to remind us, we don't attain or earn our right standing before God, our salvation, by keeping the Ten Commandments or the law. The law or the Ten Commandments are a measuring stick. It's the standard. It's interesting, when Paul wrote about this, in Romans, he said this. He said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not have known what sin was through the law. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. What happens when you are driving down the freeway and you see a cop car and you look at your speedometer and you're going five to eight over? Through the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's a great illustration. That happens to me once in a while. That's... The law brings us the knowledge of sin. We cannot keep the law perfectly. The law was given to show us where we fall short, that we need help. It shows us that we need Jesus to pay for our sins and deliver us. God sent Jesus to make that bridge, to reconnect with God, the living God, because we couldn't do it on our own. said, so we can't keep the law perfectly, and so Jesus came to do that. But... This still, the law, God's top ten, describes who this God is. That said, what does it mean to misuse God's name? How do we misuse God's name? We have to understand what that is in order not to do it, right? 
Let's try to know what it is. Now, there are three areas where we fall short and misuse God names, God's name. First of all is in thought, which is mind and attitude. Then there's word or our mouth, and then there are deeds. So there's thought, word, and deeds. So let's start by looking at Roman numeral one, thought. Thought, which includes mind and it includes attitude. To misuse God's name means to use God's name for no purpose, for the wrong purpose, or to demean it, or to have no respect or awe. When we speak of name, it means far more than what we understand in a name today. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. A good name. In Hebrew thought and understanding, name meant far more than Anderson or Swenson or Kowalski or Nordvet. Okay? It wasn't just a title of some sort. Name means the person, the character, the qualities, the reputation, even the moral values it's who the person is. It's the whole enchilada. So when we're talking about the name for God, it's the person of God. The name means the person of that name. The person of that name. To misuse the name is to misuse the person of that name. In this context, it's to misuse the person of God. Person of God. In the realm of thought, it is to presume on God or to take God lightly or to approach God tritely. God is power. He's, he's dangerous. He's got all this power. And to approach him lightly is like grabbing on to a power line. It's going to shock us. It may appear normal, but to get close to God and touch him, that's power. We are to respect the power and approach God with a healthy fear and reverence. As a high school student, I remember one experience vividly. I felt particularly close to one of my teachers, an instructor. I considered him a good friend. And so in school, hey, we are great buddies. I ran into him at a concert off campus somewhere, and, and I went up and talked to him, and I, I thought I would act like we were best friends. <laughs> I, I was shocked at the response. Yes, he was my friend, but he was teacher. I was student, okay? And he made sure I learned that. It was a good lesson because one day I was going to go into the teaching profession and I would also learn that there, there's a relationship that is different between a teacher and a student. There was a boundary of respect and healthy reverence. Being friends is not the same as being a peer, okay? And we must be careful how we touch God. Sometimes we come into God's presence, even a worship service, with kind of a careless attitude. We, we can approach God flippantly, with no respect and no awe. In our minds, we're, we're just here to meet with God. No big deal, right? No, it, it is a, a big deal. We are to approach God in awe and respect. It all starts in our minds, how we think of God. And a question, what, what place does God have in your mind? What does he have in your mind? Do you misuse God's name, his character, and person by treating God lightly? Is he your best friend? I hope he is your best friend, but not in the same way of being a peer. 
We're not peers. He's God. We're not. Just saying. Okay? Just so you know. God is not a peer of ours. I will never forget. I thought about pulling this movie clip up. How many of you saw the very first Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. Yeah. We, we saw it late at night. Bad mistake. It was a very intense movie. It never, you know, it never got there. But anyway, at the end of the movie, the villains who had stolen the Ark of the Covenant wanted to look inside. You guys remember this. As they opened the Ark, Harrison Ford yelled at Marion, his partner, and said, close your eyes, don't look. How many of you remember that? He said, don't look. The presence of God, the glory of God, burst forth from the Ark, and what happened? It was a great, great effect. These men melted. They, they literally melted on the screen. It's freaky. But that's, if you've never seen that, uh, rent the movie or find it. Just watch that one scene. If you don't watch it, watch the rest. The glory of God, verse 4. We say, that is a great picture of how powerful the presence of God can be. It's so powerful that God said to Moses, no one can look on me and live. Do we misuse God's name, the very essence, the very being of God? Thought, how do you think about God as you approach him? The second dimension of this commandment is in words. Words. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God in word or speech. So this is words having to do with the mouth. This is the area most people think of when quoting the third commandment, the, the verbal misuse of God's name or names. That's a careless or irreverent use of God's name. Profanity or swearing. Now, let, let's start with swearing because it does include swearing. Swearing, I hear expressions of surprise or shock. Oh, my God. We hear it all the time. Oh, my God. Or they use an abbreviated synonym, synonym while texting on Facebook or Twitter or something, and they put OMG. Then we hear someone exclaim, Jesus Christ, in a profane way, or they say, God damn. You guys hear those words all the time. Many of us will cringe when we hear these expressions at home or in front of kids, but we seem quite comfortable when we hear these expressions on television or in the movies. To some, it's okay at work or somewhere else, just not at home, definitely not in front of the kids. But you know what? God is everywhere. Many try to temper their language with euphemisms. Euphemisms, okay? What is a euphemism? A euphemism is defined as, quote, a substitute that means the same thing, but is less offensive. It means the same thing, but it's less offensive. This is a euphemism. In our politically correct charged environment, we see euphemisms all the time. One writer in a magazine talked about these particular euphemisms. He said, cosmetically saturated, wearing too much makeup, fragrance abuse, wearing too much perfume, non-discretionary fragrance, body odor, comparative ads, attack ads, traffic, this is my favorite, traffic calming insertions, speed bumps, okay? <laughs> A hemp activist, a pot, a pot promoter, deer management, shooting all the deer. 
Anyway, we, we can go through all those. Euphemisms. Euphemisms are a less offensive way to say the same thing. And we have euphemisms in swearing too, okay? Let's go to the dictionary and look these up, okay? Some of you are not going to like this part of the sermon. It's okay. Some of you don't like a lot of parts I preach. That's okay. Darn. What does it mean? Look it up. It means damn. Heck means hell. Golly means God. Gosh means God. G means Jesus. Then you have frickin' friggin' effin' every definitive of the F word. And as long as you use that, it's okay. Okay, Euphemisms. And, and we think these, these words, I mean, I, I remember growing, they were cutesy, acceptable phrases made popular in Leave it to Beaver and Lassie. And no, few of us would ever consider using the real words, just words that mean the same thing. Okay, now, most of us would use euphemisms in order to not break the third commandment. I'm not going to say that because otherwise I will break the third, so I'm going to use this instead. They may be less offensive to us, but they are just as offensive to God. Now, let me, let me throw a word of caution. I don't want to run around and be a word inspector, and we're not going to get into legalism and all this other stuff, because you can really get legalistic in this stuff. I want you to be aware of what words we use and how we may offend God. I'm not talking about offending your pastor, or offending your kids, or offending your work. You know, we're talking about a relationship with God that demands a certain level of respect. And that's legalism. Remember, God is high voltage. Think about it. Honestly, now, let me just say this. Swearing may be the least important issue here. It may be the least important issue. Let's, let's move on to the next section. Let's look at letter B. The misuse of God's name. Misuse of God's name. First would be formulas. Formulas. The, the formulaizing of God or Jesus. This is reducing God's name or Jesus' name to a formula. It's a formula. The people in the New Testament, the followers of Jesus, healed people, they cast out demons, they delivered people. They did all kinds of miracles in the name of Jesus. It worked. It worked. Because it worked, some other people decided to try using Jesus' name as a formula for power, too. And I preached on this passage in Acts 19. In Acts 19, the sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. It's actually kind of an entertaining story in a way because they tried to cast this demon out in the name of Jesus and the demon answered and said, Jesus I know and I know about Paul, but who are you? He's like, what? I used the right formula. And he's saying, who am I? Then he jumped on the sons of Sceva, overpowered them, beat them up. A little dangerous. Now, why did the formula work for the disciples of Jesus and Paul, but not for the sons of Sceva? The sons of Sceva were not the representatives of Jesus. They had no authority. They had no relationship with Jesus. 
Therefore, they didn't have Jesus' authority. They tried to use Jesus' name as a formula. In the name of Jesus means, as a representative of Jesus whom I represent, whom I have a relationship with, by virtue of my relationship with Jesus, I represent Jesus, therefore I have his power and authority to command you. Remember, it's all about relationship. So our relationship with Jesus. The power of Jesus' name or God's name is not available to just anybody. Only those who have a true relationship and are children of God have a relationship with the person of that name. I have no authority to use that name unless I'm under that authority. Many people today misuse the name of Jesus by reducing it part of a magic formula, a magic bullet, by which they now have power. And people think their relationship to God, the person of God, is irrelevant. They can live in sin, live in disobedience, live in any way they choose, and just use his name, and I'll be good. No, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. If our lifestyle and our values violate the character and person, that name represents God. We don't have power, and we're guilty of misusing God's name. And we see it. People just tritely using it. Closely related is number two. Two, using God's name for my benefit. Using God's name for my benefit. Isn't God for us? Yes, he is. This is the God is my servant attitude. If I use the right words, he has to perform. We make sure to end every prayer with in Jesus' name. As long as we put in Jesus' name at the end, he, he has to answer, right? And then many will quote John 14, 14. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Let's take the context of that verse. One verse earlier says, and I will do, this is John 14, 13 to 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The qualifier is that so God receives the glory. Our prayer must be righteous, it must be correct, moral, holy, and consistent with God's character for Jesus to answer that way. Therefore, it is for God's benefit, not mine. It's for God's glory, not mine. Everything goes back to God. Then there's prophecy, number three. When we speak of prophecy, we enter an area that's very misunderstood. And this is not intended to be a comprehensive teaching on prophecy, um, but an application of the third commandment in the area of prophecy. In its simplest form, prophecy is God speaking to people. Okay? If, if there's prophecy, it's God taking human instrumentation and passing on a message to people. That's, that's the, basically the, the whole thing. This may include foretelling the future. We always think of, oh, he's telling the future. Well, it may include foretelling the future and future events. But most often, God is bringing a message to people through human instrumentation. And typically, the prophetic nature, as we look at the Old Testament, we see the prophets coming to the people of Israel and people of Judah. They were sinning and doing all this stuff. And the prophets were sent to them and said, you have to repent and change your behavior. If you don't, that's what's going to happen. And so they said, oh, it's all future. No, 
He's, it's, it's present day message to the people. And the prophetic part was if they refuse to listen, this is what's going to happen. Now, prophecy is very multidimensional. We're not going to spend much time in that. But prophecy basically was a, in the Old Testament, the prophet received a revelation from God and delivered to the intended recipients. And it was direct revelation. There is direct revelation today. Okay? We still have direct revelation. But it's God speaking through human instrumentation to people. And in the Old Testament, it was delivered to intended recipients, usually, not always, in spoken form by thus saith the Lord. Sometimes prophecies were written down, like in the, in the case of Jeremiah. So prophecy can be spoken, it can be written down a lot of different ways. When, however, when somebody said, thus saith the Lord, better be careful. It means God told me, or God spoke to me. It's a serious thing. And there were serious consequences for prophets who prophesied and it wasn't the word from God. They were labeled a false prophet and you could get stoned. When we say, okay, and God speaks to us. God does speak to us. When we say God spoke to me or I heard the Lord, we must be very careful to discern that it is the voice of God. The most difficult of all tasks is to discern the difference between our own voice and the voice of God. Is it my voice? Is it God's voice? And try to discern that. Make sure it's God. Do not say such a thing lightly, or we can be guilty of misusing God's name. Direct revelation is real, but be careful. It's dangerous. It's high voltage. Okay. Number four, blessings or cursings. Blessings or cursings. God's name has power. We say, God bless you. And if you say it, mean it. Do not say it tritely or out of habit. Some will damn another person by using God's name. Blessing has power and cursing has power. Be careful what you say. Witchcraft will attempt to use God's name or the names of God to invoke curses or the names of demons or other gods. They use words. We can bless people. We can curse people. James 3, 9 to 10 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Blessing. Blessing people. Blessing. Being positive in what we say. Um, when you say negative things, when we say negative things about people, we're, we're setting them up. And it's like, a, it's like a curse that comes out instead of being positive. Staying positive. Positive. All the time. Then there are oaths. Number five. We stand ready to testify in court. And I say, I solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. That is an oath. And that is used in our world today. And that is invoking the name of God in an oath. Or we stand before the minister at our wedding and say, for better, for worse, or richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death separates, with God's help, I give you my promise. It's an oath. Very valid in in what we do with the name of God. Then there's, and we can take God's name in vain by taking oaths lightly. 
Then there's number six, lying. Some people take God's name in vain by saying, I swear to God it's true. Okay? And you hear that all the time. So those are words. Let's look at number three, deeds. Deeds or actions. We can take the name of the Lord in vain when our actions contradict our words. If our life contradicts our profession. Okay, let me say that again. We can take the name of the Lord in vain when our actions contradict our words or our life contradicts our profession. Elton Trueblood said that this commandment is a warning against taking God lightly. He believes that we break this commandment when we say we believe in God, accept the ideals of his kingdom, but we don't take him seriously. This would be true of a nominal Christian or even a lukewarm Christian. Maxie Dunham says, using God's name in vain when there's no genuine faith or commitment is a violation of this commitment. Joy Davidman expands it further and writes, the misuse of power had given place to the contempt of power. She has today with 2,000 years of additional practice, we have invented many new ways of breaking the third commandment. We still misuse God's power. We still despise it. We call upon God to justify our sins. We commit the ultimate blasphemy of not calling on God at all. Ah. Many churchgoers think the third commandment is meant primarily to forbid casual profanity, yet casual profanity is perhaps the least of our offenses against it. Such an approach shows that many of us have no fear of God, no love of God, no respect, no appreciation of his glory and power. Believers take God's name in vain when they contradict their profession with their actions. Most are not overt and obvious, but subtle and casual. How many here have ever been a substitute teacher? Okay. Okay. I've substitute taught once in a while over the years. And, and what, what is the biggest problem with substitute teachers? They don't take you serious. Okay. <laughs> they, they don't take you serious. You go in and you're, you're going to direct a band rehearsal and everybody goes in and switches instruments and you don't know why it sounds so bad. Yeah, <laughs> Catherine has experienced that. It, it's just, they don't take you seriously. They ignore you. That's how many of us approach God. We don't take him seriously. We're not committing some egregious sin. We're just not, we're taking his name by not taking him seriously. And Exodus 27b says, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Why does he tell us that? So we don't, yes, but also so we do. We do take him seriously. So I want you to take me seriously. Thou shalt take the name of the Lord your God in earnest. Remember the whole purpose of the Ten Commandments is to preserve our relationship with God. To give parameters, to give guidelines. Is it to keep God happy? No, it's to keep us on the right track about and it's the only place where we can truly be happy because it's about relationship. Now, like all the commandments, all of us are guilty of breaking the third commandment. Okay? I'm just putting us all in the same plane. Okay? So we know. The good news is that Jesus paid for that sin too. 
When we realize we broke it, we're called to repent and confess and ask for God's forgiveness. He will forgive us and restore us back into right relationship again. I talked about spiritual breathing. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We breathe out the confession, breathe out the old carbon dioxide. We breathe in and appropriate the forgiveness, and then we're back at life again. And we have to practice spiritual breathing or that confession, repentance, and getting right with God, sometimes many times a day. And that's okay. If, you've, if you do that many times a day, you're in good company. Because if we had everybody confess, we'd be here all day. <laughs> we all, none of us can keep these perfectly 24-7. And although we must always be careful how we live, what we say, God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. And, and as we take on more and more of his character, we'll be free to do the right things, not because we have a list of 10 things, okay? Some people say, as long as I obey these 10 things or these things, I'll be fine. The Bible says that when the, when the Messiah comes and the Holy Spirit comes, he will write the law on our hearts. And so doing those things will become part of our nature and we won't have to sit and think about it and process it. We don't have to keep a list. It becomes written on our hearts. and It becomes the animating principle of what happens when the Holy Spirit by Jesus lives his life through us and we live in that right relationship. It becomes a who we are. See, knowledge of the Ten Commandments is just the beginning. It, it shows us where we do fall short. Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, enables us to keep the Ten Commandments by his power and has already paid, okay, already paid for our inability to keep it. Jesus died for our sins a long time ago, knowing that we would be here in Eau Claire and we would need forgiveness. We'd need to be forgiven for what, what we fall short in. See, he paid for our sins, all of sin for all time. For us, it's a matter of appropriating and saying, God, forgive me, cleanse me, make me whole again. Make me whole again. Danger, high voltage. Psalm 1914, it's the last verse we're going to look at today. And I want to challenge you to look at this verse. We're going, to put, we're going to put it up. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's just say that together, shall we? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us these guidelines. And I pray, God, that we would get to know you better and more every single day. And we would live in awe and respect, but not fear in a negative sense. We would realize the awesome power that you have at our disposal. And I pray, Father, that you, by your grace, would continue to change our lives. In Jesus' name.